So we're closing up a series tonight. I'm David. Um, as as I said, I thank you. Um, we're closing up a series uh, on Jesus discovered. And Jesus says Caesar, I put up there. Jesus says king. I mean, you know, the kind of kings uh, they had um, in the Roman Empire were Caesar at that time. Um, the Caesars. And, um, and so we're going to look, uh, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 2, just verses 10 through 14. It's up there on the screen. You can follow along with me. Hear God's word. And the angel said to them, fear not. When angels appeared to shepherds, all right, if you've watched the Charlie Brown special. Um, <laughs> angels appeared to shepherds, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I mean, let me, let me just pray before I talk about the passage. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless uh, this your word to our hearing, to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And um, um, what, you know, what does this passage tell us? I mean, this if you grew up in the church, this might be familiar to you. Um, well, yeah, what is this passage about, do you think? One word answer, so fine. Christmas. Christmas. Okay, yeah, it's, I mean, it's about the birth of Jesus. That's the baby in the manger. It's about Christmas. Right, what does it call to mind? Like, uh, uh, cuteness, right? Like, uh, babies are cute. A cute baby. And a cute, what's a manger? A manger is like the, the wooden trough that animals eat out of. But, you know, in Christmas, it's cute, not smelly. Um, you know, a cute baby in a cute manger with cute shepherds um, and a pretty angel, right? That, that's what it evokes. And uh, it's, it's announcing to us, uh, you know, um, the, the, the Jesus of, of, of Christmas. It's never too early for Christmas, right? Um, and this passage, what does this passage communicate? It, it announces the coming of a king. All right. It announces the coming of a king. And so that's what I'm going to talk about tonight, is the coming of the king and how this passage demonstrates that. Now, I'm going to talk about three things. I'm going to talk about the fear of the shepherds. And I'm going to talk about the announcement of the angels and about the uh, praise, the army of praise. The fear of the shepherds, the announcement of the angels, and the army of praise. And so, so let me start uh, with the fear of the shepherds. You know, that's where we start. This angel has appeared. There's some shepherds. They're watching sheep. And an angel, the, an angel uh, of the Lord appears to them, and, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Right? That was right before the passage where we started reading. And then the angel said to them, fear not. And let, let me talk about that fear. I do like to receive news. Um, you know, when I was like, I, I, for a long time or early in my life, I was just afraid of, of news, you know, like I, did I get the internship, right? I was afraid to open the email. Did I get the, uh, um, well, I would say job offer, but I've really only worked one job since college, this one. Um, but you know, like my bills when I was first out of college, um, uh, living in town, working for PCF, I was like afraid to open the bills, right? Cause then you got to deal with them. 
Um, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't afraid to get my acceptance letters for college because I just was just at, had fully convinced myself I wasn't going to get it. You know, I always knew, already knew I was into a particular school. I was fully convinced I wasn't getting into any of the rest. Right? Um, you're afraid. Like we're afraid when people who have power over us um, uh, uh, tell uh, uh, speak, say things to us. I used to my wife uh, when she was first out of law school. Um, uh, she was working as a litigator. And well, it was actually her second firm. You know, she joined one firm, and then the, there was the crash in 08, and she had to get a new job. And she was in her second firm. And the reason why that firm was hiring was that you know the, the person she was working for, the partner, was just just churned through employees. So anytime my wife would call me in the middle of the day, I was like, I'd get a double. It's going to be bad news. Always bad news. Always something, um, some kind of negative uh, feedback. Right? We're often afraid um, of. Uh, uh, news and especially like for the shepherds, this is a moment where they realize they're in the presence of something that is outside their control. Right? I mean, do you like control? Like this is, I'm sure, a room full of people who love to be in control over their own lives. And this is a moment for the shepherds where they are sure that this is something beyond their control. And so, so they're marked here by fear. Right? But this fear, that's not where they're left. It's not where the angel leaves them. The angel says, fear not, because I bring good news of great joy. Fear not. <clears throat> that's the challenge, I think, in our lives often. The things that are most important, we're afraid of. And so we shy away from them. Right? We turn to things that are easier to handle. You know, I've shared this before. I have a cousin. He got one of his PhDs. He wrote a master's thesis, and they gave him a doctorate. Right? And why? Because he was compensating. He was avoiding things that were harder in his life. And so here for the shepherds, they have no way to hide, right? They have no way to distract themselves, right? There was no YouTube for the shepherds watching in the fields at night, and so they're just afraid, but they're not left in that fear, right? They're provided with uh, comfort. And why? This, this takes me to my second point, because it is, in fact, good news. What is the announcement of the angels what do they say famously? It, I bring you, what does the angel say? I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. There's some key words here that are used. Why is it good news? That's the word uh, where, where we get <coughs> the word um, uh, evangelism, you, the evangelist, the good news, the gospel. Right? That's what gospel means. We often talk about sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And you know, what are the key things in this good news, this gospel? It brings joy. It's for all the people. And then how is this, it, what is it about? It's about a child who was born where? In the city of David. That's important. He will be three things. He will be Savior. He will be Christ. And he is Lord. Right? He's a Savior. He is Christ, the Lord. And, and these are... Uh, uh, Fundamental statement, Savior, he will, so there's some salvation that is going to go on from something. And Christ, what is Christ? Christ means he is the anointed one. This is promised beforehand in the Old Testament, right? Who, who did you anoint? You anointed uh, prophets, priests, and kings. But there's this, there, there are prophecies in the Old Testament that point forward to a Messiah. That's the Hebrew for Christ. Christ is the Greek for Messiah. And so this is the one who will be sent from the Lord, the servant of the Lord, who will save his people. And he will be the Lord. This is a title applied to God himself, right? In Hebrew, you don't say that the, the, 
I mean, Jews to this day and, and in, in the time of Jesus, they, when they would read the scripture, they wouldn't say the name of God, which we often render as Yahweh. That's the probable vowels of it. They would say Adonai, which means Lord, right? So Lord means he is God. He is not just the servant. He's not just the anointed one. He is also God. He is the Savior. He is the anointed one. And he is the Lord. And so this is the promise. And what is this communicating? Because often we think about, like, who is Jesus to you? Who do you want Jesus to be? And sometimes I think, even, you know, even when we talk about the gospel, like, what is, what is the good news of Jesus Christ? The good news of Jesus Christ is, is what? That though we are separated in our relationship from God because of wrong that we have done, that he laid down his life for us on the cross to pay the price for what we've done wrong, that we would be clothed in his righteousness. That's, that's often when we talk about the gospel, we talk about that, like how we can go from being separated from God to being welcomed in, to being forgiven, to being uh, uh, adopted into the family of God, to being part of his kingdom, to being his children, his beloved children, to having hope and to having joy. We talk about that. But the gospel, you know, when Jesus himself, when he came, what was his, what was his message? He said, repent. So it's, it's there, repent. Turn away from your sin. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. What was he saying? He's saying the king has come. And the kingdom is about to start. And that, for Christians, is where we are now. Where are we? We are in the kingdom of God. We're still looking for its fullness when he returns. But it has already been established. Why do I say that? Let me go. You can throw up, uh, Joel, that quote. So why, why do I say this is about a king? Like, uh, forgive the ancient history, but Luke is using, like, there's conscious language here. All right, so this is, a, this is an inscription, the calendar inscription, not to be confused with the regular inscription of Priyana. This is the calendar inscription. The other inscription's about um, Alexander the Great founding a temple. It's not important. Um, the calendar inscription, which comes from 9 BC, it's about Augustus. Who was Augustus? He was the guy who put an end to the Roman Republic, made himself emperor, and, uh, um, and you know, the first Roman emperor. And so they, they put this up, the people there in Kriani. This is in uh, Asia Minor, you know, Turkey, Western Turkey, on the Aegean Sea. And uh, this is what it says. You know, it seemed good to the Greeks of Asia, in the opinion of so-and-so, right? Since Providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, is set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus. Right? Whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind. I'm not sure the Jews felt they were benefited by the Romans, but we'll leave that aside. Send many of the other conquered peoples. But anyway, sending him as a savior. See these key words. Savior. It's the same word in Greek, right? As, as you find ascribed to Jesus. A savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he sees her by his appearance, he sells even our anticipation, surpassing all previous benefactors, and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the god Augustus, right? I mean, Julius Caesar did this first. He was the god. Augustus would call himself the son of the god. Julius, right? The son of God. So the god Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings. There's that word gospel, right? That, that the Christians then claimed. That's good news, the Evangelion. Right, good tidings for the world that came by reason of him, which Asia resolved in Smyrna and so on. That's just the province they live in. And you see, this is like, what was the good news? What's the cultural context of that? The good news 
in the Roman context was like the emperor has won a big battle. Wonderful. That's good news. Right? We are delivered from our enemy, or alternatively, we're conquered, depending which side you're on. So that's the good news. He saved us. What has he saved us from? He saved us from our political enemies, right? Our military enemies. And so he has provided peace. And he, I mean, you know, it's like when you're emperor, like the only thing above emperor is God. So the, the Romans just, I mean, Julius and his descent, Julius Caesar and then Augustus and his, his successors, they just, they just embraced him. You know, we'll just call ourselves gods and uh, have temples built to us. You can go to Rome. You can go to the temple of Augustus. Um, it still exists. No one worships Augustus, but it's still there. And so that's good news, right? That's the image, right? You're like, you're in the city, and you're waiting for the result of the battle, and then the runner comes and says, good news, we won. But it's a, it's a political victory, right? It's a political salvation. And, you know, there's this promise, like, oh, Augustus is a god. And he's, you know, he's, you know, leaving to posterity all this hope, right? It's for all, both for us and for our descendants, right? This is just a, an inscription left on a rock, right, in a ruined city. I mean, he's a big deal, Augustus, in history. But it's not lasted, right, his salvation. And so Luke is doing something very intentional here. I mean, that God is doing something very intentional. What is Jesus? Jesus is the true king, right? He's from the city of David. That's a fulfillment of promise from the Old Testament. It was promised God covenant with, covenanted with David that his, through his descendants there would be an eternal kingdom and someone who would provide justice and salvation. I mean, in truth, Jesus' disciples, they wanted a political king. You can go back to the scripture. They wanted a political king like Augustus, they just just on the side of the Jews. That's actually what they expected. Right? Was a king like that. What king are you looking for? <clears throat> Who are, where are you looking for your salvation? What do you hope? I mean, alternatively, what do you what do you hope is written on an inscription? You know, if you could have a stone dug up two thousand years from now that talked about you, what would you want it to say? Right? Would you want it to say, like, so-and-so was a god and a savior? And that is the good news that we'll remember. This was it's called the calendar inscription because they said, we're going to start the calendar of our region on his birthday. Right? We're going to count our calendar from the birthday of Augustus Caesar. <coughs> got overshadowed, but... That was the that that that's what he was looking for. I mean, you know, we're not emperors. None of you. I, I'd be very surprised if any of you ended up emperors. Very, very surprised. Who knows? I mean, it's unstable times <laughs> culturally. So we'll see. Um, but I think I think our own culture is actually not dissimilar from Augustus's. Right? We are focused. Like, who is king for us? King for us so often is me. The culturally, like what you know, that's what we in truth. That's what we tell ourselves. I need to be in control of me. I can be in control of me. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And we think whatever obstacles there are, I can solve it. Or at least, I mean, you got into Princeton, so maybe you can solve it for yourself or even for others. I mean, why stop it yourself? There's that pressure even that you should be a, a kind of a savior of the world. Right? We all want to save the world. <clears throat> but what kind of a king 
is Jesus. And that takes me to my last point. Because, you know, here, like, this is announced. There's this announcement. Oh, this baby will be born to you. He'll be the Savior, Christ the Lord, from the city of David. And then there's this, you know, what immediately follows is suddenly there's this, this army of praise. By army, I mean literally an army. You know, it's called, it, it's there. Suddenly there was with the, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Host means army. Right? It sort of gets obscured in the English. Like, we only use the word host like, in the Bible still, I think. And um, we don't talk about, like, the hosts of, you know, whatever country, the hosts of America. No, we don't talk about that. Um, that's Hayward, by the way. Um, you know, we, we, don't, we don't have, we don't, we don't use that language. The image here is the, the angels as the army of the Lord. Right? He is a king who has an army. But what does this army do, this multitude of the heavenly host? They praise God. Right? They say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Right? This is the promise, right? This is part of the salvation. He will bring shalom. He will bring peace to the world among those with whom he is pleased. But what is so distinctive about the, the king who they're praising? He is born in a manger. Right? He is born in humility. He will go on to die on a cross. And so the king here is not like, you know, Augustus was born into great power. And then he grew in wealth, and he wielded earthly might, military might. Right? How did he become emperor? He defeated all his enemies, his former friends, he became his enemies. He killed, conquered them all. But how is how how is Jesus king? Uh, there's a there's a great quote from Napoleon. You know, I've tried to track down like, did, did he really say this? But I, you know, I don't know. Um, I think so. I think so. You know, who is Napoleon? They're, they're doing, they have a movie coming out of him, actually, Joaquin Phoenix in the fall. I don't know if But, you know, who is Napoleon? He was, uh, like, he was emperor of the French, right, um, 200 years ago. And, uh, I mean, he, you know, he made himself emperor of the French. He wasn't born to it. And, uh, you know, what did Napoleon do? Like, he conquered, like, all of Europe. Like, he took Moscow. Hitler couldn't take Moscow. Like, Napoleon even took Moscow, burned it to the ground. And then the winter happened. He waited around for the Russians to surrender, and they just waited for winter to come. Um, that was the end of Napoleon. But he was an emperor, and then he, you know, eventually, after all these years, you know, 20 years on and off, I mean, 10 years as emperor, beyond that, earlier than that, um, as dictator of France, like, you know, he was conquering Europe, European countries left and right, never Britain, but everywhere else, everywhere that owned land, right, he won. And then eventually, eventually, he was defeated, and then he came back, you know, they sent him to a nice island in the... Mediterranean, that was a serious mistake. Um, and so he came back, and then, you know, Waterloo happened. And so then they were like, okay, we've learned better. So they sent him to St. Helena. Where's St. Helena? It's in the South Atlantic. You do not want to go to St. Helena. Uh, supposedly one of the ladies who went, went with him, when she realized where they were going, she tried to jump off the ship, you know. And so when he was, when Napoleon was on St. Helena, this is what he, this is the quote. Like, I built an empire based on uh, might, and it's gone. A paraphrase. Jesus built an empire based on love, and he has millions of followers to this day. Right, what is the good news of Jesus Christ? It's not, oh, he's he's defeated our political enemies. Right? That, I mean, his, his, Jesus, I mean, his disciples, that's what they wanted. They wanted to kick the Romans out, out with the colonial powers. Restore the kingdom of David in a political sense. What is he? He's a, a child born in a manger in great humility. 
right? Who is he? He's not just the fulfillment of the, the promises of the Messiah who will rule the nations. He's also the fulfillment of the suffering servant passages in Isaiah 53. He is the one by whose wounds we are healed, right? The one who will take on the price for our sins such that we can be forgiven. Our sins put on him, his righteousness put on us, right? What kind of a king is he? Not merely of um, uh, the, the, the uh, uh, political uh, boundaries of the world, though in, in truth he's sovereign over that, but over our hearts, over our minds, over our eternal fates. It's through him that we are created, and it's to him that we will give an account. And he is born in humility. The, 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 the paradox of it, the multitude, the army of angels praising the child born in such humble circumstances because there was no room in the end. There's that, you know, the end, and at the crucifixion, you know, when Jesus was on the cross, you know, so there was a group of Roman soldiers who were crucifying him. And the centurion there, at the moment when Jesus died and the curtain of the temple was torn in two and there's this, the darkness over the land, what does the centurion say? He says, surely he is the son of God. Which is what he, the centurion should have said about Augustus Caesar. Right? He's saying this, this man who's being crucified, which is a, a, um, a, a an unimaginable, you know, a, a humiliation, the worst thing the Romans could do uh, to people. Right? That was, that, that was their, their execution for um, uh, their enemies, particularly vicious. And what does the centurion confess? It's a good thing the emperor didn't hear. Right here, surely this is the Son of God. What is his kingdom? What is his good news? It's not the good. It's not like the good news of getting into Princeton, even getting a job. Right? It's not like that good news. It's good news of forgiveness for your sins, salvation for your soul, life everlasting. I don't know, uh, you know, if you know that. Maybe that is new good news to you. Uh, part of the challenge is we have to face our need for that good news, for that king. We have to come to recognize, like, who is in charge of my life? And we have to say, it is not me. It's not even Joe Biden or Donald Trump or whoever uh, you might imagine. Not me. I did not make myself. I didn't make any of you either. You are not the master of your faith. And so who is? Who is king? He is a king who is gentle and lowly, who loves you, and who has laid down his life for you. That is what the army of the angels praises God for. Glory to God in the highest. How glorious a message, how humble a message, how glorious a message that is. I'd encourage you, take some time this week and consider, lay aside the things you can control, the things you're good at, the things that are in your power, and consider who is king over your life, who controls your fate, and consider the child born in the manger, in terrible circumstances, the man crucified on the cross. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this time in your word. We thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for a king, for good news of a king who does reign. Not in the way of earthly kings or presidents or dictators or uh, prime ministers or what have you, Heavenly Father, but um, a, a king who laid down his life for us while we were yet his enemies. I pray, Heavenly Father, for anyone here um, 
who doesn't know you, that you would draw near to them, help them to draw near to you, to consider your word, to consider the message of the cross. I pray, Heavenly Father, for those of us who are your followers, I pray that we would submit our lives to your lordship. And uh, <coughs> despite the, <coughs> excuse me, despite the, the, uh, the individualism of our culture, despite the narcissism of our age, Heavenly Father, that you would take us outside of that and bring us in humility before you and lift us up in gratitude uh, for the gift of salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Send us forth uh, in service uh, to your kingdom for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.